Hello, Restoration Church. This is Trevor here with the message this week. We're going through a series called Easter in Real Time. And so the heart of this is to try and track and go along with the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and a little bit of time after that before his ascension and kind of go with these weekly messages uh, and the same chronological order in which those things happen. So this week we're talking about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so Jesus's big entrance into this, this main hub of all this activity and of his ministry. And it's really his first time being very open and public about who he is, that he is the Messiah uh, coming to save everyone. Because until this time, uh, you can see from the stories of Jesus where he would heal people and perform uh, these miracles, but then he'd say, don't tell anyone about it, or go show yourself to the priest and, and do what you're supposed to do, but don't go talk about it to people. Jesus wanted wanted things to be kept quiet as he built his ministry and as he trained his disciples. That, of course, people didn't listen to that. They were way too excited about about being healed, and that spread by word of mouth of who Jesus was, and we see the hype of that in this passage that we're going to read. But this entry into Jerusalem is the first time where Jesus is making it a point, and he's standing his ground and declaring um, through his actions of coming into Jerusalem in such an open and public way. So uh, one of the things I want you to do in this message and in this week is really sit and think about uh, that Jerusalem's a real place. It's not uh, not some mythical story or anything like that. I, I just, from growing up in the church as a kid, I always thought um, you go through the stories of the Old Testament, like Noah um, and the ark and then Jonah and the whale and all these sort of uh what can seem like and what can be interpreted as as mythical mythical sort of stories that are grand and spectacular and things like that. Uh, and, and as a kid, I, I applied that a lot in my understanding of Jesus and, and his ministry. But now that I've studied the scriptures and I'm a little bit older, it's like, no, this was a real place. These are real things that actually happened. Jesus came at the perfect time in human history for it to be recorded. I mean, in this time, there was all these philosophers outside of the Christian faith that their writings and teachings are still used today in understanding our, and the formations of our culture and and all of these things. It's it's when written record was really becoming wide, and, and so that story could get captured. So Jesus' story could get captured of how it actually happened. And so do that. Um, if you've got time, uh, spend some time this week uh, making margin and thinking about Jerusalem as a real place. Look up some videos of Jerusalem, like take a to- virtual tour of it. Uh, look at the Mount of Olives. Look at the the Western Wall. Look at the Dome of the Rock. All these places are actual places. They're, Jerusalem is as real as the city or the town that you live in. And so, so take that, take that with you, 
take this story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and try and picture yourself there. Uh, picture the sights, the sounds, the smells uh, of all of it, of something real. And so uh, as we go through that, we're going to start out uh, with this reading in John about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And what's interesting about the Gospel of John is it's a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, those three Gospels are referred to as the Synoptic Gospels. So they're kind of the same, kind of similar. It looks like they borrowed some stories from each other. They chose to emphasize different things, but for the most part, they're fairly similar. And this story takes up just a little bit in those those three Gospels, and then it goes into a lot of parables of Jesus, and then it goes into the Last Supper. Whereas here, John, where John referring to himself as the the one uh, who, who Jesus loves, the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, and so you think of John as this really great and intimate friend of Jesus, and this is what he wanted people to pay attention to. This is where he wanted to direct people's attention about the life and the character of Jesus. And so this portion of John, this story of Jesus' triumphal entry, is a little bit more expanded than the other Gospels. So take that take that with you as I go ahead and read uh, read this portion of scripture. So we've got John chapter twelve verses twelve through thirty six. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, "Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord." Hail to the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand it at the time that this was fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I'll do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, and others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, 
and when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, My light will shine with you a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. And after saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. So in that first first part, we have, yeah, Jesus coming in into Jerusalem. Uh, so it's Passover time, uh, this celebration, this time of observance. Uh, from when the Israelite people were in Egypt and God sent in angels, uh, to kill all the firstborn kids, all the firstborn of kids and animals within Egypt. And the Israelites were supposed to put blood on their door sill to mark that uh, the, they were God's people in that house and then the angels would pass over them. So this is a time of observance of when the Israelites were in slavery and God was doing the work to save them. And it's kind of interesting because the Israelites here in this time are occupied people. The Romans are ruling them. They're not necessarily slaves, but they're also not necessarily free. And this is a time when they're supposed to focus on what God's doing for them. And you can see this huge gathering is getting created because of this gossip, this, uh, this news, this, uh, intrigue and curiosity of this person jesus who's healing all these people raising people from the dead and people are curious about it they're following him around and so when he enters uh they're saying praise god look here's the king of israel and i can't help but have maybe a little bit of cynicism or skepticism or critique to what what these people are saying because it, and a short week later when jesus is on trial, they're the same kind of crowd, the same size of crowd is shouting crucify him. So they may have been the same people. They may not have been, but at least this crowd, this crowd that's saying, here's our savior. Here's our king. They were quiet at the very least. They were quiet the next week. So they didn't have that deep relationship with Jesus. They didn't really, they thought this was him, but they they sure is, sure weren't going to put their life on the line for it. They were sure weren't going to speak up or go against the crowd for Jesus. So, so keep in mind, I guess that that perceived shallowness, I guess, of that praise of that that title giving of who this is. They were right; Jesus is the King, uh, but they weren't ready to put some actions to back it up. And so then we get into this uh, this story of uh, Jesus finding a young donkey. I think it's funny how in this translation, in this part of John, it says, oh, you found one. But it's kind of fun if you look at the other other three Gospels. Uh, Jesus sends, it, sends a couple of disciples to go get him a donkey, uh, a young colt that uh, hasn't been ridden on. And Jesus says, uh, go find it. And if somebody asks why you're taking it, just say that I need it. <laughs> and then these they do that and they're like why are you taking my donkey yeah the lord needs it okay <laughs> i just i just think that that's funny i may be reading into that too much but i i just feel like that's such a kind of a 
fun, fun little exchange right there. And then, then this picture of like Jesus, the Messiah yeah, coming in, riding on a donkey's colt, like, yes, he's elevated. He's above the crowd. He's riding in, but it's like, that's not the exact grand entrance. You would think that the King of Israel would be riding in on. I don't, I'm not sure what David or Solomon rode on, but I don't think it was a donkey. It was probably a pretty big, nice looking horse or something like that. Right. And a chariot, not a, not a donkey, <laughs> but, but that's what we have. That's, that's the story. That's what's going on. And, and then we have, uh, this hindsight to it where the disciples didn't realize that this was all happening to fulfill prophecy. And, and that's something to be mindful of that often God is working and God is doing things. He's doing something great and we don't realize it until after the fact. And so that's why uh, what's been laid on my heart lately and what the Holy Spirit is gently encouraging me and convicting me in is to stop forcing my multitasking, stop my busyness, stop my, I got to get this done and this done and this done. And, oh yeah, I may be listening to my Bible for the day, but I should do some laundry or cook some breakfast because I'm busy and I got to multitask. And (laughs) this weekend when I was preparing for this message, I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, sit down and just spend some time with me. So that is, was, it hit me. It hit me pretty hard because I've also been feeling like, God, I don't feel like you're that close to me right now. I'm feeling stressed. Oh, there's a reason for that. I'm not spending the quality time with them. So uh, that's, it's not difficult. It's just needing to remember that we need to, if we want that relationship with God, if we want to be tuned into what he's doing, and tuned into his ways and what he's up to. And so that we can collaborate in that. We need to spend the direct and intentional time with him. So he can see what he's up to. And then we get to this point where the the Pharisees. The good old Pharisees saying to each other. Uh, There's nothing we can do. Look everyone has gone after him. And that translation of everyone can also be read. Look the whole world. So there's this use of hyperbole of like everybody's attention's on this guy. Everybody else, all these people should be paying attention to us. They should look at us. We're their leaders. Why are they paying attention to this guy? What use is this guy? He's not a part of our crowd. He's not a leader like we are. <laughs> all of this placing where is the Pharisees' job? It was their role in this society to know the scriptures, to know the Messiah, anticipate his coming and welcome him in. But they were so blinded by their own interpretation. They were taught, they read, they thought one way, and that's how it was when God, in fact, was doing all the things in scripture, but their interpretation was wrong and they weren't adaptable to that. They weren't in that collaborative mode with God to see, okay, God, this is how we understand it, but Give me clarity. Is this really what you're doing? That that wasn't a part of this. They're just like, look, everybody's attention's on on Jesus. We got to do something about this guy. And so then we're in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is there, and there's some people that want to meet him. 
uh, want to get to know him again because of this celebrity status that Jesus has. And they're asking him questions, and what I love about Jesus is oftentimes he doesn't answer those questions. He gets to the heart, and Jesus gets to what he wants to say or what he knows needs to be said. Or another way to look at it, John, this gospel, according to John, is showing Jesus' answer for what we need to hear, what needs to be passed on. And and this first reply from Jesus where he talks about needing to die in order to multiply. And that's a constant theme of Jesus' teachings. As a Christian, as a believer of that Jesus is who he said he is, and we ought to aspire to live and be like him in this collaborative mode with God, to love God and love others, it's it, it has to be centered on dying to yourself. And that's something that I'm thinking through. That that's my main point that I'm talking to God about here is like, God, what's it mean to die to myself? What's it mean? Like, does it mean I never do what I want to do? Does it mean uh, what? And I just keep coming back to collaboration. Like, just keep talking to God. God, is this what you want me to do? This is what I want to do. But is it what you want me to do? And always talking to God and working through that and being sensitive to what the Spirit's saying and having a slower or methodical pace to life so you can listen and and hear what God's saying. But got to die. Got to die in order to multiply. There's a lot of blessings to being a believer in Jesus. There's a lot of blessings to living in the life he calls us to live. But none of those blessings are available until we die to our own desires, till we pick up our own cross. And that's different for everybody. And that's something to pursue and figure out and work with God on. And then we get this dose of Jesus's incredible humanness of showing uh, my soul is deeply troubled. I'm about to die. I know what I'm here to do and I don't want to do it. Uh, it's going to be terrible, but I know what my purpose is. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. This is my role. But it's so close to like the Psalms of David of this just raw emotion with people and with God, not being, uh, trying to focus the attention on yourself because, oh, woe is me, but just being honest to how you're feeling and, but then honest about the direction and what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, That's, that's a a great example by David. That's a great example shown here by Jesus. And then again, you get the voice coming down from heaven and the people speculating, oh, is it thunder? Is it an angel? It's God talking. <laughs> but I just find it interesting. None of these people thought, oh, that's the voice of God. Like, that makes sense. This is the son of God. That's the voice of God talking to the son of God. Makes sense. No, that's not what they said. They speculated uh, all these things that were wrong. And I can't help but think it goes back to that shallowness, this kind of living moment by moment and only only seeing what's right in front of them uh, and and just trying to see what the latest is, what this story is, so then I can go tell my friends about it and I've got something to talk about. Uh, that That's what I see here because I see that in human nature. I mean, I do that. Um, but that that's what I see is going on. And then last we get... We understand from the scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? 
Just who is the Son of Man anyways? And Jesus totally doesn't answer the question. <laughs> he he talks about being living in the light. Like, here I am shining this light, showing you the truth. This is what God has. This is God's plan. Put your trust in this light. Because there's only a little bit of time left. And that, that time's relative or that time is... Um, can be interpreted different ways, but it is, it's one of these things where we don't know when life ends. We don't know when the end is coming. We don't know that timing. And so there's this immediacy, this, it's not hurried, but it's this intentionality of like, we don't know how much time we have. So time is running out. And so let's take advantage. Let, let's be able to participate and collaborate and see what God is shining in truth and what kingdom this kingdom that he's bringing from heaven to earth right now. And how can we live in that? That's what Jesus, that's how Jesus chooses to answer than who the son of man is. So, so to wrap this all up, we're, we're in this week as we're preparing for Easter, uh, wanting you to sit Make some margin. Try and reduce or eliminate any multitasking this week. Things will get done. Just be intentional with your time with God. And that's not just one moment of the day, but that's trying to have this reminder throughout the day of collaborating with God, of instead of listening to the radio in the car, maybe just keep it silent and talk to God there. That's something I do a lot. And use that time to invoke your imagination of picturing yourself there in Jerusalem as Jesus is entering into this excitement of this week of what's unknown. But then we have this hindsight. We can see that Jesus is about to be crucified. And that's the time when we mourn and we sit with that. But then we are able to come on Easter Sunday and celebrate the resurrection and what that means and how we can live transformed lives because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And remember that Jesus is a real person who's just as much of a human uh, with these emotions, these heavy emotions with the burden of dying to himself, of physically dying and dying to his will of what he wanted to do, what he was comfortable with because he knew his mission. He knew what he was supposed to do by task by God. And that was to give up what, what he wanted, to give up his autonomy. And wanting you to prompt growing your depth with God. That means time in scripture. That means time in prayer. That means time in singing and worship and ways that are meaningful to you. And that means time with other saints. That means time with the other Christians in your life of that struggle of personalities, but grace giving of learning to love one another, of learning to prefer one another. I encourage you to grow in depth with others and with God this week so that we're not people who shallowly praise or shallowly proclaim, but those that say things and mean it from our heart, from how we live and how we act. And so be paced in this week. And let me pray over everyone listening now. Father God, give everybody here a pace, a restfulness, an easy 
easiness of how light life is when we're yoked with you. Sure, life's complicated, it's difficult, but we make it worse when we try and do it our own way. And so God, give us, give us this reminder to be with you, to talk with you, to be in your scriptures, to learn not only about you, but to learn who you are and what you're doing so we can collaborate with you and the kingdom you're building here. And the joy and the excitement and the fun that we're able to have uh, to be those collaborators, to be those creators along with you. So God, give us an imagination this week. Let us see the way in which your son walks in this time. Let us feel the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus and prepare us for the joy that we have coming to celebrate here on Easter. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.